Under the Dome Radio, the full fan feedback discussion for Season 2, Episode 12, Turn, recorded September 17th, 2014. Thanks again for joining us for Under the Dome Radio, the unofficial podcast by and for fans like you of CBS TV's Under the Dome. This is episode 47 of Under the Dome Radio, and we're going to have show notes with links and some of the cool pictures from this episode of Under the Dome over at underthedomeradio.com slash 47. And we want to hear your feedback next week for the super deluxe season two finale extravaganza. Go to underthedomeradio.com slash feedback for all the details. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network, as well as being sponsored by our affiliate links at underthedomeradio.com slash Amazon. And I'm at Wayne Henderson, your voice acting, podcasting, part owner of the 13-time world champion Green Bay Packers. And I'm Troy Heinrichs, practicing quantum physics as I try to be in two places in space and time tonight, as I try to remember all the stories we wanted to start this season, but yet failed to actually come to fruition before the finale. Good point. And I'm looking forward to that. Quantum physics. This is advanced stuff. Starting off tonight, we'll have our breaking news segment where we talk about ratings and such things before we go on the air and discuss this episode in detail. Then we'll head on location to talk to all of you, the fans, the domies, the residents of Chester's Mill before you get squished to death. And then, of course, our investigative reporting section where we will discuss maybe a few book tie-ins this week with Julia's epic chat with the Dome. And then, of course, rest uh, and then requests and dedications where we thank all of you for helping get the word out as we near our conclusion of this season two escapade. Breaking news, Troy. What's going on with the Under the Dome ratings this week? Now that we don't have anything to actually complain about or pit it up against, because <laughs> there are no excuses this week. Everything is supposed to be flowing like it should be. And it had a Big Bang Theory rerun lead in which was the last time we actually saw ratings on an uptick scale. So if anybody's learning anything for next season, assuming a season three is coming, uh, Big Bang Theory seems to be a good lead in for Under the Dome. We actually crested above the 7 million viewer mark once again for mm. the live plus same day viewings, but still holding at that uh, 165 share in the 18 to 49 demographic. Pretty good. Pretty good. We'll take that. I expect big things out of next week's season two finale, but uh, for now, we'll take this. Well, and we were talking before we started recording. I think the reason why the 18 to 49 doesn't really pick up for this show is there seems to be a lot of 12 to 18 watching because I don't know if you noticed this week, but Hunter's abs seem to be kind of a, a forefront image that actually was displayed. I don't know if you caught that at all. Uh, no, I didn't. And I don't necessarily need to but it would make sense you know there's a lot of people that are following colin ford and a lot of people following mckenzie lintz and now that hunter's on the on the screen we're following him as well so maybe that is why 18 to 49 isn't registering because they're all 12 to 18 instead that makes perfect sense and i could have predicted that well this episode was directed by peter leto and written by william kendall and daniel truly and I think that overall, this episode wasn't horrific. I, it's still 
a little weird that we don't have a little cohesiveness with the rest of the season and things that have happened as we went along. But I really did like some of the kind of human element, the spiritual science versus faith, some really good conversations again, which we really come to know and appreciate about an Amblin television production and what Steven Spielberg has that influence on. So I thought some of that was great this week. But again, story-wise, cohesiveness-wise of season two still seems a little bit off. And I'm really hoping for something big next week. Oh, me too, because it's got to finish on a very high note. At least I'm, I'm certainly hoping so. And we'll know soon enough whether or not that actually happens. I'm ready to go on the air, Troy, and talk about some of our other stuff after we've had a few more days to think about it. Well, Becky, call me Rebecca is now playing the role of Captain Obvious this week. Hey, the dome stopped rotating and it's getting warmer in here. <laughs> Coincidence. I, I didn't even write down the particular lines, but we, we know that Barbie in the middle of the season played Captain Obvious a lot, but both Rebecca and Julia have been playing that role of late. And yeah, just in case you weren't paying attention at home, they're going to spell it right out for you. Wait, did you hear that? No, did you? I thought it might have been a Langolier at first, <laughs> but that crunching and groaning, maybe it was the dome just chewing up the dirt, but I think Lucifer was onto something. It sounded like a dragon coming out of the ground early on in the episode. Now, see if something like that comes to pass and Lucifer Jr.'s theory that he sent us the picture to and we posted it in the show notes a couple of weeks ago. If that comes to pass, that will make the finale fantastic, in my opinion. I mean... We've got domes from who knows where and portals leading to Zenith and a dragon. That would be almost commonplace. Now, whenever someone delivers a line, you kind of sit there and go, oh, that'll come back to bite you in the butt. <laughs> and, and Melanie did just that this week. She said, well, when you're down on your luck, Melanie, and she's like, no, go ahead. I'll be fine. Exactly. Famous last words. That definitely sums up Melanie this season. I'm afraid we haven't seen the last of her yet, but we'll have to talk about that a little bit later on next week's episode. We'll see. She may be fine, but she ain't in this time and space anymore. Well, that's true. She could be most anywhere. Anybody could with that hole in the ground. Now, we haven't talked much about the visual effects this year because our I found out that our friend Stephen Fleet from last season, who had really great special effects, especially with the Moab explosion and the pink stars rising up to the dome, he wasn't actually working on Dome this year, so that kind of explains why the special effects this week were a little bit off. I wouldn't even call them visual effects because that computer-generated tree that almost landed on Barbie on the second watch, man, it was really computer-generated. <laughs> As was the small strip of uh, ground that the Dome kept pushing further and further inwards into uh, the center of Chester's Mill. They clearly got the guy that did Langoliers. Because I went back and watched Langoliers because I own that. And you did? You you own Langoliers? Well, I watched it on Netflix, but I do own Langoliers on VHS. Wow. And what'd you find on, upon a second viewing? The actual CG looks exactly the same when you adjust for analog television compared to digital HD television. But it's pretty much the same effect. <laughs> it might be a Stephen King thing. Who knows? Oh, and welcome to our new nightmare. Another stating the obvious. It's like uh, the writers heard us and figured we'd just put that right in the episode. I know Barbie clearly was like, well, that's obvious. 
I, I know someone had to be listening to the podcast. <laughs> uh, Julia says to Becky, I appreciate what you do. You helped all of us. Wait, what? Wasn't it just a week ago that Julia pushed her to the ground for trying to kill everybody? I think um, dome time, it was a week or maybe even only six days. So it's amazing that the way that the personalities and the outlooks of almost everybody flip flop. It almost makes me wonder if maybe aliens are controlling them all. And each night when they go to bed, they take everybody's brains and personalities, jumble them all up and everybody wakes up with a new one the next day. That's true. We never actually see anybody sleep on this show. So maybe there is some kind of experiment going on that when they do sleep, they disappear, go somewhere else and get reprogrammed. Because, I mean, let's run it down. We have Big Jim kills Dodie, blames it on Barbie. The whole town is ready to lynch Barbie, yet Barbie gets away scot-free. And then Jim is up on the gallows and he's almost hung and he gets away scot-free. And then Big Jim and Barbie are friends again. And then Phil flip-flops between Barbie and Julia and Big Jim. And he still doesn't know what the heck is going on. And then you have Andrea Grinnell, who's with Julia, but then she's with Big Jim again. And then this week, you have Barbie and Sam, like their best friends, trying to help Melanie when he was all about killing Sam for killing Angie. <laughs> My point exactly. And I understand that when you're trapped under a mysterious dome, that is usually your number one priority. But still, I think people would be at least mentioning, hey, didn't you kill at least a few people within the past two or three weeks? You know, maybe we should, you know, be careful around you, Big Jim or or Barbie, since some of them may still think that Barbie actually did these things. Well, anybody should be careful around Barbie because he has anger management issues. I mean, he immediately jumps to beating people up, especially Hunter this season. And I just have to think that it has something to do with pent up dome moans like hormones but dome moans okay that might be a stretch (laughs) pheromones hormones dome moans we love making up our own words because sometimes it works and ben our little you know surf buddy ben mr upbeat cool surfer dude let's paint a uh, door on the side of the dome he looked so sad this week and then you know on the second watch he doesn't have his uh board do you think he has given up skateboarding altogether or got lost maybe in that big dust storm when he had the asthma attack. Clearly the dust storm swept his board away because all he wanted to do is just get back inside and breathe. Well, I could understand at that point, but there's gotta be another board in town somewhere. That'll liven him up. That's why he grabbed his backpack because this time he took his inhaler with him to go find a new skateboard. That's gotta be what's happening. I think your theory of Hunter actually working for a third party might actually make sense because Malik jumped on the phone really quickly to call Don when Barbie puts the gun to Hunter's head. Or was Malik actually motivated because he saw Barbie and freaked out and wondered how Barbie got back under the dome and he was actually getting a hold of the big bad at that time? I could see that he did appear to be kind of freaked out, so I could see the possibility of him calling someone else. But did you notice, as far as the visual or sound effects go, when he got out his phone right away, they made sure to play us the audio tones of a cell phone dialing, just so we knew for sure that he was calling somebody on that thing. Versus, say, texting somebody? (laughs) Or just, maybe it was a communicator from Star Trek, but I heard the tones. It was dialing a phone number. 
But we know Malik can't communicate very well because he hears one thing and writes something else. I know. I still crack up at his translating everything. You're lying. Like, what? The best line of the night, though, of course, was the I really think that both questions need to be answered for it to basically save everyone in town. And it really was both questions in the end. It was the okay, we're all going to lay our hands kind of seance style on Melanie, but you still needed the science teacher to be there to go quantum physics, totally quantum physics all the way. Oh, I don't know about the whole sets of eight hands, four hands or whatever that. Okay, next. Well, and then I went back and looked at the picture again of the six. It was three girls and three boys. But then when you actually looked at the six that were around Melanie, it was actually four boys and two girls. So the question is, is which one of the guys is wearing a dress? That was it, because the magic uh, sketch, it did have the triangle representing a dress. Or it could just be one of the guys is wearing a kilt and he's going to have some bagpipes. And I could see where in Pauline's vision, she would mistake in that. Or maybe the triangle represented a tie since Lyle decided to put on his Sunday best to come to his funeral. Man, he was uh, cleaned up rather nice. And like, look at there, Lyle Chumway, he is looking good. So I knew that something bad was going to happen pretty darn quick. <laughs> I like the little two-step he was doing, too. It made it like, oh, yeah, when I was at the prom and I totally went up to Pauline and danced with her. And Big Jim said that she should stay away from me. And it was kind of his little last dance with Pauline before he stabbed her in the back. But poor Lyle. He is just not thinking clearly. Well, Lyle actually tells Junior that the picture in the book was actually the night that Melanie and them actually died. And Junior says that won't happen this time around. How right was Junior in that statement? <laughs> I, I don't know how Junior is qualified to interpret any of these drawings or paintings. He hasn't been right on with a lot of stuff, but I just keep thinking scrapbooking. And then this is, these stories do not coincide with each other because there was the episode where Joe was like, hey, science teacher, check out my blood and then check out this other girl's blood and see if there's anything different between them. And she gets interrupted because they're all breaking into the locker in the hallway. And right. now she's looking at the blood and doesn't really see anything different. So why do you tease that she may have different blood properties, but then go under the microscope and say, oh, her red blood cells are deteriorating and make it sound like she's human when she's really not. I don't think that Becky, Rebecca, is as on top of her science game as she keeps leading everybody to believe. Well, and that's totally true because I don't know about you, but if lima beans can actually detect what blood type you are, I think I'd be using fresh lima beans instead of canned lima beans because <laughs> let me tell you, I don't know how your blood reacts to food additive processes and things of that nature, but I'd be using fresh beans to be anywhere near my blood. Just saying. You know, that's an excellent observation because I did hear or see that somebody said that technically this is possible, but I agree with you 100%, Troy. Can canned lima beans probably react to blood a lot different than if you went to the produce section maybe even got organic ones, you know, go green and all that stuff. I, I still think it's a bit of a stretch, but like you said, hashtag just saying. Yeah, you pre-cook them, you wash them, that pectin inside of the, I think it was pectin 
inside the lima beans would be altered, I would think, if you can them versus doing fresh. Even frozen would be better. I guess it's the willing suspension of disbelief when you're talking about the produce section. Or about under the dome in general. <laughs> and you put the two of those together. Woo! And you have Andrea Grinnell's house. I, we need more Andrea Grinnell on Under the Dome. Dale Raul for the win. Well, she will be back next week, but I'm sure that it will not be in a good situation if the trailer was any kind of foregone conclusion of what may actually happen as the season finale progresses. What I think would be neat is if they showed a trailer for coming up next week on the finale, they showed some scenes that were all deleted scenes, like things that weren't even touched on in the finale and just really lead us all astray. That would be something that'd be different. And it might actually make the finale more interesting because then wait, where's the scene of so-and-so doing whatever. And I don't get it. Awesome. The preview for the season finale is actually season three's premiere preview. (laughs) We just didn't know what the continuity was so that we messed it up in the can. And this is actually very poignant because the one line I really like this night, because when you have science fiction, there's rules that are set up. Uh, Mm -hmm. We talked about the Dark Tower on this podcast, and there is a rule that is very clearly set up and it smacks you across the face and you don't even realize it until the end of the book. But the rule tonight is maybe some questions have no answers. Now, very reminiscent of Lost, right? Damon and Carlton said, we're not going to answer everything. Everything doesn't need to be answered. So is this the cop-out way for Under the Dome to not actually give us certain answers to certain stories? And we're just going to have to live with it. I think you're on to something there. It could be, like you said, a shot across the bow to kind of forewarn us, like Damon and Carlton did, so that we could all temper our expectations. And if they're saying this way that some things we won't get explained, then we'll have to go with that. But there are a few things on this type of show that do need to be explained, whether this season or next season, you know, like where's the dome come from? (laughs) Why is a purple egg that keeps changing colors so important to it? I'd like to know. Why does it start moving when Julia talks to it? Why does it stop moving when Don thinks he's going to save the day by getting the egg details? I think I've said once or twice before. (laughs) Now, we did learn that although so many people love Joe McAllister, or that's his last name, right? McAllister? Yep. We found out that stealth is not one of his strong suits. Uh, We found that out from Barbie, and he's one to talk, uh, because not so stealth himself either, Mr. Laser Tripwire guy. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Uh, Well, it takes one to know one. And you know what? You know what knows everything? What? The Dome will let us know what to do next. I can't believe that almost every single person in Chester's Mill is on board with waiting to hear from the dome. This is the big question I have, because I'm trying to figure out if the dome and the egg are connected, because when Papa Barb says, hey, you know what? I'll help you out. The dome stops moving and the egg apparently makes Melanie feel better. So are all three of them connected or is it truly independent? You know, we said if the egg leaves the dome, something bad would happen. Now, granted, it wasn't total collapse. It is shrinking slowly, but moving faster. And it just on a whim, like, oh, because he's going to help us. We're going to take a break for a minute and see where this goes. But then as soon as if his intentions are what caused the dome and the egg to react in a positive manner, 
then the dome should be aware enough to know that it wasn't Don Barbara's fault that he didn't get the egg back in Chester's mill. So why does the mm. dome start just creeping on again? Like, oh, you lost your end of the deal, dudes. So now I'm going to crush your people again. Continuity issues. I'm telling you. That's definitely a question that should be answered because, I, you know, they make us all think that the egg and the dome are one or mother and son or, you know, which came first, the dome or the egg? You know, it's the age old question. But uh, you bring up an excellent point there, Troy. I'm waiting to find out. Is human connection really possible through transfusion or is it really more of a mystical connection via the dome? And that's what really makes Melanie better. That's the question everybody's asking. Remember the simpler days of pink stars are falling in lines. Pink stars are falling in lines. And we clearly know that magnetic fields can cause seizures and blackouts. So that made sense. Sure. Giant windmill builders. (laughs) Now, when Joe takes the gun out of the desk drawer that he finds... And of course, Nori tries to talk him out of it, put it back in there. And he doesn't listen because we, like you mentioned last week on the initial reactions episode, last time Joe had a gun, he basically almost shot Melanie in the face. But I have a feeling that they're going to be coming back to this gun. It's one of those things, one of those rules you talked about, Troy. They showed us this gun. It's very important and it hasn't come back yet. So in the finale, what on earth is going to happen with the gun? I think the gun's going to play a big part. But the one thing I really picked up on from this scene is the dialect that actually came from Nori because she was like, you should lock it the hell up. And then if you go back to Andrew Grinnell, she said, why don't you just shut the hell up? So I'm now thinking that the hell up must be one of these Chester's Mill local idioms. Don't you know? (laughs) Don't you know? That's kind of a Wisconsin-y thing. Um, that's a good call on that one there, Troy. It's a good catch. I find it interesting, though, that Nori would talk that way after only being in Chester's Mill for three weeks now, coming from uh, Southern California, the land of sushi. Again, the big question is, she's a hand. And we know that we saw her father outside the dome. So was Nori actually born in Chester's Mill originally and then moved to California at some point in time? Or maybe she's been in Chester's Mill the entire time and has a fake memory implanted that makes her think that she was in the land of sushi rolls. Anything is possible with this show. But that was a good catch. I'm giving you 100% credit. Three gold flaky stars for you, Troy. Now, here's another one that kind of goes, well, how did this happen, right? So Pauline starts to get her visions back. Is it because she confesses that it's her fault? that Melanie died and she's taking responsibility, right? If you confess your sins and truly feel sorry, you'll be forgiven kind of thing from a religious stance. Or is it because the dome feels like the egg is coming back? So it just lets it one little tiny vision in. She's apologizing to her for her sins to the dome. (laughs) And she doesn't really touch on the fact that she invited the man who killed her husband three weeks ago to come live in her house. She's not atoning for that because apparently that seems to be all right. But the, the whole thing is just pretty absurd. I don't even know why this whole scene is in there. Well, it's in there because remember, Big Jim is also the preacher because he killed the first preacher. So he took over the church of Big Jim. And so now <laughs> she's confessing to the preacher, the mayor, the councilman, the sheriff all in one. 
between Pauline apologizing and then we've got Julia Shumway apologizing and asking for forgiveness. And now, like you said, Big Jim, with each person that either gets killed by the dome or somebody else or gets killed by Big Jim, he takes over their job. He's going to be in charge of everything pretty soon. Or he'll be in charge of nothing because he'll be the only one left. But he'll be happy with that because he'll be in charge of himself. At least I did it for the town. That's right. You know, you know what he says, Troy. We're all in this together. I really liked the line, though, between Becky when she's talking to Melanie. And I did like the line that Sam gave to Becky as she's sitting on the stairs. I'm just going to call her Becky because we like picking on the science teacher. <laughs> but uh, it is uh, there is a better thing. Knowing knowing doesn't take away the wonder. It makes it more amazing. But then Sam comes back and says, you know, it's not giving up. It's letting go. Knowing there are things you don't know and being okay with it is really what it's about. And this conversation, this science and faith thing is why I really actually liked the episode this week. Really? Well, it really makes you wonder about, you know, yourself as a human and where you stand, right? Is it, are you a, I have to know how the sun rises and falls and how the moon rises and falls and all of that jazz as she was talking about it. Or do you just trust that the sun is going to rise and fall? There'll be morning, there'll be night, there'll be summer, there'll be winter, and it just does happen. And you just enjoy life because of it. If that's what they were going for, I chalk that up to trying to beat us over the head with it. Well, then they said they were going to do that all season. There was going to be this science versus faith conversation all season. And it started in like episode two, little bit in episode one, but then it kind of just dropped again. And then here we're bringing it up like full force, like wham, just like the truck slammed into the side of the dome in the premiere. Well, let's just say we've got uh, some good comments from a listener coming up in the listener feedback section of the show that'll address this from a different angle. And then Pauline talks to Junior just as they go out to the crater. And she's like, I just want you to know that, you know, everything will be fine no matter what happens next. And Junior's like, why are you talking like this? So Junior, again, he's got this like sixth sense thing going on that he knows something's not quite right. And I wonder if Pauline actually knew at that point she was going to die. I would not be surprised because Junior is almost a totally different person than last season when he was a psychotic maniac. And ever since the dome, he turned to white. He's a pretty normal guy. So he's basically healed of that. And now in place of being psychotic, he's able to pick up on stuff. And then the question I had was, did Pauline know because it was on the canvas and did she kind of set the whole thing up with Lyle and she knew Lyle was going to stab her in the back? Or did she know that she just had to sacrifice herself and trust that somebody was going to kill her in a decent way? Well, you just blew my mind with that one. Uh, I'm going to have to rewatch at least that ending two or three minutes again, because I didn't pick up on that, but I like it. I could see Pauline being this, this being part of her atoning for her sins. And she says something like it was my blood. The dome wanted my sacrifice, which makes it think like she knew it was going to happen and asked Lyle to do it. Wow. It, even if that's how she wanted to, to play out, I can't, I can't believe she would be able to convince Lyle to do that because he's been pining away for her the, the whole season, especially, you know, talking when he's looking through the scrapbook um, pictures saying, no, this this scene, this is me and Pauline in, in living happily ever after in heaven. But see, Lyle's the perfect person because 
Lyle would be the only one that would go through with it. And she Lyle's the only one she would trust to do it and carry it out. Right. Because remember, she faked her own death. She left because she thought the dome would follow her. Right. So he's sit, she's sitting there going, Lyle, you have to do this because you're the one that believes because the only way we can be together is in death because Big Jim will not let us be together in life. Man, that Rennie romance. But it's all thrown to the side because it doesn't matter because dun dun dun, Domnado is back. Domnado, a.k.a. Smokey, takes Melanie again into the ground and it's it's not like the people in Chester's Mill need a new hole in the ground that might be a portal to another land. No, wait a minute, they do. This is all perfect. And now they're referring it to the crater again. So is this really going to be something that if there's stuff left over from that meteorite, did the meteorite burrow its way through to the tunnels to get another exit to get out? I don't know. <laughs> it may have burrowed all the way to China. And just like on Resurrection with uh, Jacob Langston appearing in China after he died, you know, 30 years later, maybe the folks of Chester's Mill are going to pop pop up in uh, Beijing or something. But we do have to say the ending was a big shock. Her getting sucked down. I mean, granted, the, the special effects were a little cheesy, but her getting sucked down was kind of cool. The stabbing and the whole big gym going off. That was pretty awesome. Oh, definitely. I agree. The, the final 90 seconds, two, three minutes, whatever you want to call it. The final scenes made for the whole episode. So if it made for the whole episode, did it make it enough that you're going to actually come up above a five this week? Uh, believe it or not, yes. I, I was not, things were not looking good for my thoughts on this particular episode till the ending. The ending brought my rating rating way, way up, all the way to a six out of ten Dome Nados. I knew you were going to use Dome Nado. I had to. <laughs> it was, it was uh, there for the taking. How about you, you Troy? <laughs> dome Nado 2, more Dome. Oh, great. <laughs> How about you? Well, I actually thought seven and a half. Whoa. I really liked where they were trying to go with the deeper parts of it, because that's the reason why we watch a science fiction show is that science versus faith concept. And if this truly is still a science fiction show, even though it plays by zero science fiction rules in my book, then, you know, there's some things that are still kind of iffy, but I, I enjoyed the episode. I liked the conversation if this was a standalone episode and you had no backstory whatsoever, I think the episode does fit very well with the concepts that they're trying to get across. So seven and a half objects in two places at once. But by the way, Jinx, Ms. Science and Ms. Monarch, you owe me a Coke. Okay, I'll go with that. Seven, seven and a half. That's that's pretty good. I mean, considering uh, what we've had lately. So with that, let's go ahead and go on location and see what's going on with the Lister feedback because they always have excellent angles that we haven't even thought of yet. So take it away, Neil. Hello, this is Neil from Bowie calling into Under the Dome Radio for Under the Dome Season 2, Episode 12, Turn. In the previous episode, the dome was rotating, which would imply that it was a sphere. This episode is contracting, but for some mystical reason, the underneath part of the sphere is not having any effect on the ground. Only the sides are doing anything. Maybe only just a bit more than the top half is coming in and the rest of the base is staying put? 
I have no idea what they're doing here. I just know it's not consistent with anything they've shown so far. The Hounds of Diana website has an interesting video uh, where a news person is saying that China and Russia are threatening military action because of the dome. On the site, there are also some art from Pauline's apartment. There's one painting which shows both the red hand in the locker and the yellow hand on the root cellar door. There's another one of the dome cutting off someone at the knees. There's a magazine cover there of Linda and Rusty, news of Linda's death and about a Sheriff Linda Esquivel Memorial Fund. The question of why Don was able to touch the egg. Well, I suspect that there's some telepathic circuit in the egg that somehow knew of his now good intentions. Julia pleads with the dome, I still choose to believe you're here to protect us. If someone has to die, let it be me. Is she going to be a sacrifice in the season finale? We'll have to wait and see about that. Pauline's painting has paint dripping down there off the easel. She knew there must be a sacrifice somehow in bringing back Melanie, and it appears that Lyle was trying to carry that off with sacrificing Pauline and himself. If Pauline does die, we're down to four hands again with Sam replacing Angie, whom he killed. CBS website has a uh, This Is Where It Ends video from a couple episodes back, which shows the travel visions in case anyone wants to review them. It's interesting viewing there. We all knew the hands were going to be needed for something, and it appears this time they were here to help Melanie. Melanie, after being seemingly cured, is taken away into a big hole in the ground. She has to be in Zenith somewhere. My guess is she will end up getting the egg back into Chester's mill. You've been asking for death in this episode quite a bit, both on and off screen. The season ender is sure to be an exciting one with probably more death. Who will live, who will die, and who will be in the cliffhanger next time under the dome? Neil from Bowie, thank you so much for sending that in and for always checking out the Hounds of Diana website. Uh, possible clues about China considering military action. I totally forgot about that storyline from season one. And just talking about some of the other great stuff. What do you think, Troy? You know, I really thought the Hounds of Diana website would be more integral into the story. And I think ever since Hunter came inside of the dome, it's kind of been on the back burner in our minds because it's just not, it's not like the lost tie-ins, right? When you had the uh, mini games or mini things that were happening in between the seasons, I think that was more entertaining in order to keep you engaged with the show to do it in the off season part. And the Hounds of Diana might've been better played and better served if it was in between the long hiatus between season two and season three, potentially you could have done a lot more with it and maybe they will, you know, maybe there's a bigger plan for it long term. but yeah, I'm really glad that he mentioned it and reminded it because there is some new stuff up there and we will link to it in the show notes at under the dome radio.com slash 47. And Neil was under the impression that we've been asking for deaths under the dome. <laughs> we weren't asking for deaths. We were looking for mass suicide or mass murder. <laughs> Single deaths. Don't cover it. Oh my goodness. But another great theory and another great opportunity, Melanie could potentially be sucked back to Zenith where she could retrieve the egg and potentially bring it back to Chester's mill. Will that happen? I don't know. I hope if Melanie is alive and well, that she is somewhere else besides Zenith. Just, just to make it interesting. But this is part of the problem with the show is that you introduce this concept of Melanie being Barbie's half-sister and Melanie in this episode specifically 
is super important to Don Barbara that he's willing to go get the egg and actually come to Chester's Mill with it to see his daughter. And if they don't have the two of them connect in the finale, what was the point? True. And it was interesting that Don Barbara was so easily impressed and believed that his daughter was back from the dead, back from the missing, all because of Joe's fabulous vlog. I have a hard time saying that word. It's like trying to say McRib at McDonald's when they have that. Don't compare those two because the McRib is good. The vlog, no. not. No. <laughs> McRib is terrible. Okay, I, f- I feel another hashtag Team Wayne, hashtag Team Troy. McRib, good. McRib, bad. You make the call. Anyways, we also got some good feedback left in the comment section over under the dome radio.com slash 46 down in the comment section. And this one I thought was really interesting from listener Bryant Burnett. Uh, Bryant says, how would Rebecca have interpreted the sketchbook? Hmm. Well, I'm guessing she would have completely dismissed it to the extent of not interpreting it at all. And speaking of Rebecca, how badly have the writers bungled the faith versus science element of this season? If you want to see that topic handed, handled capably, watch Cosmos or Battlestar Galactica or, yes, Lost. If you want to see it utterly bungled, watch Under the Dome. I get the feeling this episode was intended to represent a victory of faith over science, but even that doesn't work. I'm reminded of a scene from Dead Man's Walk, a prequel to Lonesome Dove, in which a man has died and the survivors are trying to give him a funeral. One character, Bigfoot Wallace, invites the dead man's friends to say a bit of scripture over the grave, and they look around sheepishly, obviously not quite cultured enough to be up to the task. One of them, Long Bill, eventually says, there's that scripture about them green pastures. So say it then, Bill, prompts Bigfoot. Well, there's them green pastures, says Bill. That's all I can recall, he says after a few seconds go by. His compadres, figuring this is good enough and better by far than nothing, nod as sagely as if the dead man's grave had just been preached over by one of the apostles. The faith science angle on Under the Dome is like that. It's like somebody said, hey, this season should have an undercurrent about the divide between faith and science with the dome as a catalyst. Hey, somebody else says, that's a great idea. Then they looked around at the occupants of the writer's room and said, how do we do that? Well, said one of the writers after an uncomfortable silence, there's faith versus science. To which the other writers nodded sagely and invented the character Rebecca Pine. And I think that's very well done, Brian. Thank you so much uh, for putting that in the show notes in our comment section. I, I really do think that's about how it all went down. I think Bryant has his thumb on the pulse of what's going on in the writer's room at times. And Bryant is a huge Stephen King fan. He does the blog, the truth inside the lie.blogspot.com. Great Stephen King related blog talks about Haven under the dome, the dark tower series, gunslinger, all of that and much more. And so definitely check out the truth inside the lie.blogspot.com for more great stuff like that. I wonder this season, there was the whole thing of Brian K. Vaughn exiting the show. 
And it was that Brian sat down with Neil and Brian sat down with Stephen King and they kind of outlined season two. But then Brian Kavon was the writer, like he was the head writer. And with him not actually writing, did that actually impact how season two unfolded? Maybe the concepts were outlined, faith versus science, new characters to keep the show interesting, this whole time travel concept, two towns at war, whatever you want to call it. I mean, you could throw a bunch of that, like post-it notes, right? Or storyboard, like up on the wall. And then someone else has to go, okay, now let's write the script. And then Vaughn leaves and we get what we got out of season two. So how much was Brian K. Vaughn's absence integral into what happened this season? That's an excellent question. I think it should be required viewing for all of the writers to watch every episode, take notes and make sure that, you know, they don't have so many conflicting things. And I hate to go back to Lost because I know Bryant loves it so much. (laughs) (laughs) We have to, Bryant, at least a little bit. What do you got there, Troy? Well, the difference was when you watch Lost and not to spoil anything or give anything away for people that haven't seen it, as we do approach the 10th anniversary uh, next week of the crash of Flight 815 in Hawaii. Well, not really, but on the island. And... When you watch the show, it was like, okay, this is so unbelievable. Like, what is going? I don't get it. This is crazy. How could this pot, you know, and all of that runs through your mind. And that's the same thing that you be running through your mind now as you watch Under the Dome. So if we were to watch Under the Dome before Lost Airs, Airs, would we view Under the Dome a different way? Is it because of things like Lost that have already been done that now we go to Under the Dome and go, well, this just doesn't make sense. Like you, you have to, it's like a fool me one, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on you kind of thing. And is that what we're feeling here in season two? Like there's so many things they could have written and done and connected. And I'm supposed to believe that you're going to get there by season six because I didn't have any precedent for lost. So I was willing to go on that journey till season six when it did get all connected. But am I supposed to have faith? Or am I just supposed to believe that not knowing is okay and just let go? I don't have an answer for that one. Like how I tied that in there at the end? (laughs) I thought that was very beautifully done. I recently watched all of season six of Lost over the past three months and let it go. Without say, don't sing that song though. No, no, no. The song is forbidden from this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No more American Idol auditions for you, Mr. Heinrichs. And it sounds like we hate Under the Dome. We don't hate the show. The show is actually a lot of fun to watch. Yes. It's a great community. It's got great concepts and theories. It's got us really thinking about, as TV viewers, you know, what do we expect to invest our time in? And why would we actually spend another 30 minutes on Monday and another hour on Thursday and an hour driving into work, listening to us and all the other under the dome podcasts, you know, there's a reason why this show exists. And I think the show exists for the sole purpose of building a community. And, you know, I hate to get prophetic or anything, you know, pull out my Lyle card, but it's about a community under this bubble. And what would happen if we actually were in this situation, take that a step further farther a little bit higher and think about everybody that watches this show and now we're all part of this community and we're all trapped together because we can't quit it for some reason even though we're like oh it was just 
bad this week and the special effects were terrible and da 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 da. But yet every week we keep coming back for more. And I think it's because what would happen if we didn't have the community of the dome watchers to talk about it with? You know, would we feel a sense of emptiness if we weren't here every week? I I think that, that we would. I, I agree that it's all about the community and the fact that we can all rally around this and try to figure things out. And, you know, the first episode of this season, you know, even if it wasn't written by Stephen King, was to me the high mark of this entire season because it was wild and it did have that flair. And still, there's plenty of other questions that can be answered that we're going to enjoy going along for the ride. No matter how crazy things may get, we, we watch because it's it's fun. I wish it wasn't on quite so late at night, but, you know, that's the beauty of the DVR. And that explains, I think, some of the great DVR numbers that Under the Dome is getting compared to some of the live numbers, because maybe it's just late at night. But uh, still, it's interesting to see what's going to happen. I still say more Andrea Grinnell, more Big Jim Rennie. Uh, since some of our other favorite characters are dead, maybe somebody can rebuild the radio station there in Chester's Mill. <laughs> I'm waiting and watching. And I still say more book. I mean, there's so many great stories to pull from the book, even if you have to rewrite them as different characters. And maybe some of this kind of fits in that way to some extent. But I really think there were some very deep relationships that really made the book what it was. And because of that, I'd like to see some of that come out of these people. I want to see more in-town interactions amongst the people in season three or with Zenith or wherever this mysterious place they might be going to if they all jump down the black hole. But they, there needs to be more interpersonal conversations like this week had. It's the, you know, feeling for Becky because of her mom and the fact that, you know, she couldn't get kissed on the forehead when she was sick. And it's feeling for Sam because, you know, he didn't know how to be a father to Junior because he had this drinking problem. Those are the stories and the relationships we want to find out about not the, oh my gosh, the dome is shrinking. I agree 100%. In addition, we could even have a little side plot since, like you said, Big Jim's taking over all these different positions in town. People are going to need haircuts pretty soon. And Big Jim, I guess he's going to be the new barber in town as well, but I'm not going to let him cut my hair. Number one with a clean bick all the way across so everybody looks like Big Jim clones. <laughs> yeah, that could be interesting. The whole town of Chester's Mill has the Jim Rennie look. I, that could Now that could be interesting. Well, it's the battle of the comments on the blog this week. So Bryant went first. So now we yield the floor to Lucifer Jr. himself. So many questions, not just for this episode, but also for the entire show. But I guess Melanie's right. Maybe some questions have no answers. But wait, I need to know because knowing the answers doesn't take away the wonders. It only makes them more amazing. Big Jim asking if Melanie is or who or what she is made me ask myself, how the heck does Jim not know about Melanie this entire time? Did we miss something as the viewers or did he really truly not know about Melanie? And then when baby Barb's told Papa Barb's about Melanie, come on, the folks from outside of the world have all this resources and cameras to track all the events happening inside the egg, the relationship between Joe and Nori, all of this stuff, but they didn't notice a girl popping out from the middle of the lake that looked like Dale's long lost daughter or Don's long lost daughter. We have a new love team. Did I say new? I'm actually confused and in the process of recalling things. 
James and Melanie. Come on, writers. Seriously. Julie and Barbie only took um, two weeks or less to be lovebirds. And we find it so hard to buy there. Now we're going to believe that James and Melanie are able to be lovebirds in less than five days. And they're acting, or at least Junior, I mean, James, so in love and so passionate that he kisses her before she ends up getting sucked into the black hole. I just think it's crazy. That's not love. That's obsession. (laughs) That's a fine perfume as well. Uh, I think that Papa Barbie is also connected to the dome or to the egg. This is crazy, but everything is crazy around here. So might as well go with the flow. He is one of the four hands even before Pauline's forehand squad. Hmm. Maybe Papa Barbie and his wife, plus Melanie's mother, and let's say this unknown third party that's in charge of Malik. Maybe they were an original four hands to make it a total of 12. Anyway, I love this episode, especially when Becca, defender of the science, explained about quantum physics theory of time, though I didn't fully understand it. Melanie has gone through a hole. Maybe it's another way. Maybe she's pulled by the egg to Zenith where she belongs, but before she reached the ground, I doubt she'll be in good shape. Or maybe she's just going over to Wayne and Troy's other podcast in Arcadia, Missouri, where you can see that September 28th at a resurrection You make a wonderful podcast and at least the things we can do is participate as a community and participate well and participating is our pleasure. Happy podcasting till the finale, Sir Wayne. Thanks for the Twitter follow. Lucifer. Excellent. Thank you so very, very much. Great, great thoughts in there. And yeah, I don't recall if Melanie was wearing any red on her person when she went through the hole. That would be a great tie in, even though they're on different networks, but nothing would surprise me. And I thought it was really interesting when you brought up the point about how Becky, the defender of science, was talking about quantum physics and you didn't fully understand it. I don't think Rebecca Pine fully understood it. (laughs) I know I didn't, so I can't really call her out, but I have a feeling that she's uh, playing more of an expert than what she really is. Well, it must be true because Julia knew it, too. (laughs) She is a reporter, after all. (laughs) What do you think of the uh, potential of uh, another group of four hands? I really could see them going there because, you know, this season we found out there was that other four hands. So maybe at the end of this season or beginning of next season, yet another four hands. I wonder, based on uh, Lucifer Jr.'s comments, who that mysterious unknown person would be. I mean, we could really get the theory spinning trying to figure that one out. But I, I like it and I could see the show going there 100 percent. We haven't given the Under the Dome radio DJ of the week to Bryant yet. So for his inside look at all things King and the speculation of his behind the dome, the writer's room, we will give Bryant the honorary Under the Dome radio DJ of the week this week. Again, get your theories and thoughts in. You can visit underthedomeradio.com slash feedback. Call us at plus one nine oh four four six nine seven four six nine. Or, of course, follow us on Twitter at UTD Radio Podcast. Great ideas. Now, let's do some investigative reporting and see if there was uh, anything spoilery or even tied into the book that we want to talk about briefly. Just skip ahead if you want to be totally spoiler free. Don't leave all the way. Just skip ahead a little bit and we'll be there when you get there. The biggest thing that I caught this week was the speech Julia gives at the dome wall. 
I felt that was very reminiscent of the speech that she gives to the Leatherhead child when she's trying to plead for everybody's lives that are left. You know, the uh, explosion has happened. They're breathing in the methane gas. And she's like, hey, we're 26 strong and we're people too. And they deserve to live. And so I thought that was really nice to see that conversation happen again, although not as heartfelt as it was in the book. Definitely not as heartfelt in the book. It's almost like it was a different character altogether, even though they're both named uh, Julia Shumway. What I really liked, though, is as she was limping away on that magically healed leg because the island, I mean, the dome has such great healing properties uh, that she kind of looks back over her shoulder like jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because the snow and black ice is totally gone after 12 hours of night and the next day going on. And then I really like the preview for next week. Uh, Those that didn't get to see it, uh, again, if you don't want to be spoiled, just turn it down for a couple seconds. But the fact that Pauline isn't actually dead and they're going to use her as the plot point for the finale for Big Jim to become the Big Jim of the book and go on a tirade of mass murder. If he actually does carry the murders out, that'll be interesting to see, of course, because that'll be more Showtime like. Uh, it'll be great to see how that actually plays out in the long run. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm not just, I, I don't watch all these different television shows and root for characters to die. Okay. But this is a Stephen King inspired show. And I have to admit when I saw the trailer and Pauline wasn't dead, I felt kind of gypped. I like the plot device though. Cause it, this whole time we've been like, trust the dome, trust the dome, trust the dome. And in the trailer, Big Jim is clearly like, all right, I'm done. I am tired of this crap. Time for you to listen to me. I am Chester's Mill. <laughs> and we all go back to, I think it was early, early this season when they opened up the episode and we thought, hey, it's a close up at the outside of the dome. But no, it was Jim Rennie shaving his head. Maybe Jim Rennie and the Dome have more in common besides the shape of their outer shell. But it's interesting that we're going to see some characters that we basically have almost forgotten all all about this season because we haven't seen them for quite a while. For example, Carolyn. We're going to see Carolyn. So this is exciting. I'm glad she's back. Right. And then we're also going to see more Dale Raul, Ms. Andrew Grinnell herself. Thank goodness. This is a good thing. And good old Tom Tilden is back. And there's another Tilden on the cast list for next week. I wonder if that's going to be a brother or a son. And if it's a son, then it's almost kind of a throwback maybe to the book because the Dinsmores were this family of the two sons that, you know, shot the dome. And then, you know, Ollie was the one that lives at the end. Granted, Ollie was played by a different character in season one in the TV show. But in this case, Tom is the farmer. So it makes sense that maybe his son comes into play here in the finale. Mm, it'd be interesting to bring back the Dinsmore uh, family line into the show. I'll be watching. Although they're the Tilden family line now in the TV show. Oh, that's right. That's right. I, I can't get Dinsmore out of my mind because Ollie was such a wild character. That actor was awesome. Now, is it just a one hour season finale? That is what I'm seeing. They're saying that it's going to go 10 Eastern, 9 Central, Monday, September 22nd, entitled Go Now, written by Catelyn Parrish and Catherine Humphreys, and it will be directed by Jack Bender himself, and it'll be a potential exit 
showing up from the dome, revealed to everyone just as the walls begin closing in on those trapped in Chester's Mill. See, they are listening to the podcast. An exit from under the dome. I thought we had one of those about six weeks ago. Got to keep it interesting because we need season three to come, right? There has to be a way for the seasons to continue. This will be the season finale. This is not a series finale. It's clearly in the press release season finale. So stay tuned on season three news. But at the same time, I could see where one of my earlier theories could come to pass where maybe they will all actually leave Chester's Mill except for Big Jim because he loves the town and wants to stay under the dome. And the whole rest of the show may take place may take place outside of the dome. Of course, that uh, passageway may take them to another town that's also trapped under a dome. <laughs> I don't know. I just make this stuff up. That's totally the way I would see it. They would leave. They'd go to some mysterious, magical place. Maybe not Zenith. Maybe some other earthly plane or non-earthly plane or something. But they would leave one dome and show up in another. That would be awesome. Well, you know, if Pauline's still alive, she said that the dome might follow her. We thank all of you for coming along with us for this ride. It is a great community overall. We love talking with everyone each and every week. And of course, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to, of course, get the word out to everybody else and let them know how great the podcast is and how much you enjoy it. Just go on over to underthedomeradio.com slash iTunes and leave us a five-star written review as it really helps everyone else know how great this podcast is. That would be fantastic. Even if you're on your new iPhone 6 or 6 Plus or any device that has iOS on it, no matter what the version, if you go to the podcast app, which now is magically on every phone that has iOS 8, you can leave your review for the podcast right within the podcast's app. And of course, we still have those great t-shirts and coffee mugs. So just go on over to underthedomeradio.com slash goods to order those. Or even if you're still interested in pre-ordering season two on Blu-ray, you can do that at underthedomeradio.com slash Amazon. That would be fantastic. In fact, we recently uh, cleaned some stuff up around here. We've opened up the dock area, the loading dock. So if you have any propane deliveries that you would like to sponsor and donate to the show, Go to underthedomeradio.com and just on the right-hand sidebar, you'll see the different propanes. We have room for any size of propane that you would like to have secretly shipped to us to help keep the podcast station running. And of course, we love connecting with all of you, the fans. So make sure you talk to us out there on Facebook, on Twitter, again, at UTD Radio Podcast. All the social links are right at the top of the page. If you prefer iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or tune in for your podcast listening pleasure, those links are there as well. We just want to make sure that the Chester's Mill community keeps growing as season three could soon be around the corner. Stay tuned. We'll give you all the details. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to us here on Under the Dome Radio, as well as checking out what the other listeners' theories are. We greatly appreciate that. Share your thoughts and theories. Be part of the next episode. The season finale feedback palooza will be coming your way. So underthedomeradio.com slash feedback for all the details on how you can let your voice be heard. And until that episode, I'm at Wayne Henderson. And I am at Troy Heinrichs, anxiously awaiting the season finale as I stay trapped under the dome. Under the Dome Radio.
Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Get organized in your personal and professional life. Laugh with our clean comedy. Theorize over great television shows and so much more. All waiting for you at noodle.mx.